just when you thought there was no hope for baby boomers. It's the Rational Boomer Podcast. Logic, common sense, compassion. Yeah, who knew? Now, here's Mike. We are back on the Rational Boomer Podcast. Hopefully your day is going well. It's Tuesday and we had a busy Monday. Michael Cohen testified in front of the Manhattan Grand Jury regarding the hush money paid to Stormy Daniels by Donald Trump through Michael Cohen. Now, we know Michael Cohen has already gone to trial over this, was convicted, and spent some time in jail. We know that Donald Trump was an unindicted co-conspirator, couldn't be indicted because he was a sitting president. Well, now they've focused on him, and it sounds like they're getting closer to sending him an indictment, too. In fact, they extended an invitation to him for this week to come and testify, tell his side of the story, give him a chance to try to convince the grand jury not to indict him. Now, not surprisingly, he's not taking them up on this offer. I guess his lawyers did go to the grand jury yesterday. And I saw one of his lawyers on one of the news shows being interviewed, and it was embarrassing to watch this guy. Now, I'm not an attorney, but it doesn't take a genius to see that this guy is an absolute fool. He's talking in circles. He's diverting, distracting, hoping to delay this thing. And he looked just foolish. So I can only imagine that if he went to the grand jury, he did pretty much the same there. The bottom line is Donald Trump is cornered in this particular situation. And the talk is there could be an indictment as early as this week. Now, we don't know if that will happen, but it's certainly possible. That uh, investigation has gone along pretty quickly. I mean, they looked into it a long time before they convicted Michael Cohen. But after that, it didn't look like they were going to go after Donald Trump. Alvin Bragg comes in, and he seems to back off. And then all of a sudden, he got some confidence after convicting the Trump organization. And here we are with the uh, investigation of Donald Trump and the prospect of him getting an indictment. It's going to be very interesting to see what happens. I think most folks are right that this is going to move along pretty quickly, and you can already tell by how Donald Trump is acting. He's like a cornered rat at this point. He's throwing everything at the wall. We'll talk more about that in just a minute. Uh, First, I want to get to a couple of emails. I have a couple of short emails to get to. Now, the first one comes from Michael. He says, Mike, the age of consent is 17 years old in Colorado. Lauren Boebert's son got a girl pregnant when he was 17 and she was 15. That is statutory rape, Michael. And the situation, as you describe it right there, Michael, it is in fact statutory rape. And if that's actually what happened, this family should be called out for it particularly Lauren Boebert, who happens to be a sitting member of Congress. Now, I've heard this story before, and I think we can verify that her son is 17 years old, but I've seen no documentation or verification that the girl was 15. Now, I wouldn't be surprised if she was, but they've been keeping that under wraps, not surprisingly, because it is, in fact, statutory rape. Lauren Boebert is one of the dumbest people in Congress at this point. Everything she says is absolutely ridiculous. She was standing in front of a crowd of people speaking proudly about becoming a grandmother at 36 years of age. Now, I think Lauren Boebert is pretty fond of herself. Uh, She's got a weird ego. But she was kind of speaking with pride about becoming a grandmother at 36. And she explained how she went to her son and she said, son, You're making me a grandma at 36. The son says, well, mom, didn't you make grandma a grandma when she was 36 and you were 17? And Lauren Boebert had to admit, yeah, I guess I did. Sounds like we have a pattern here, a pattern here of uneducated people procreating 
at not the best time. I got married when I was 23. I had my first son at 27. I was an adult. I had a job. I had a home. I had all that stuff. But I got to tell you, even at 27, I had no fucking clue as to what I was doing. It's an on-the-job training type of situation. I remember the fear of having the baby in the hospital. My wife and I are there, and then they say, okay, now you can go home, and I have this baby in my arms, and I'm thinking to myself, are you really going to let me leave this hospital with this kid, knowing that I don't know jack shit about jack shit? I mean, having a baby is serious business. Too many people have babies right now, and it's just another thing in life, you know? It's like buying a dog or buying a cat. And this is one of the reasons we have the problems we do in our schools. We have babies having babies, and nobody knows what the fuck they are doing. And it becomes generational, because like Lauren Boebert, 17 years old, has a baby. 36 years old, now she's a grandmother. You have to admit that if you had a child at 17, and say you're, you're, you're uh, the woman involved or the girl involved is 15 years old, no one can tell me there aren't many trials and tribulations and difficulties going on when kids that young have children. So you would think Lauren Boebert would have had some experience of being a young kid having a child. Some of the problems, some of the issues, some of the difficulties you'd have to go through. I mean, because Lauren Boebert, while she's a sitting member of Congress up until this point, not really the most successful woman. I mean, she didn't even get a high school education. She had to race and get a GED before she went into Congress. You would think after having gone through that, you'd want something better for your child, and you'd make sure that that child had a better opportunity. Not Lauren Boebert. Her son did exactly what she did. There is a pattern here. And there is no improvement in this generation-to-generation shit. When I had kids, the first thing I thought of, I said, now what do I got to do here? I got to feed them. I got to get them all the things they want. But I soon realized the, the, the most important thing I could do for these kids and for this country, and for the world for that matter, is do everything I can to make these two kids, my two sons, better men than I, better than me, not make the mistakes I made, do better things, do better overall. Now, I know some parents, I know my father was like this, if your kids start doing better than you, you get a little, uh, you get a little envious, or, or jealous. I, I don't know where the fuck that comes from. But for me, I want to see my kids do everything better than I did it. And I want to instill in them to want the same thing for their kids. I want my kids to be better than me. My kids should want their kids to be better than them. And that's one way to create a positive evolution in this country. Instead, we have people like the Boberts. Having a kid at 17, not knowing what the fuck you're doing, but not even have enough common sense to teach your kid better. Make them better than you. That's not what she's doing. And that's one of the big problems we have in this country. We're not improving our kids' lot by training them better based on our past failures. Learn a lesson from your fuck-ups and make it better for your kids. And Lauren Boebert certainly doesn't do that. Now, I understand what you're saying, Michael. If, in fact, her child was 17, and I think we can verify that, but if the girl that he impregnated is 15, that is absolutely statutory rape. Having a member of Congress standing up and promoting and supporting statutory rape is fucking appalling. And she should be raked over the coals for such a thing. But I haven't seen the proof that the girl is 15. Like I say, I don't doubt she is. But we've got to see that. I've heard the story bantied about all over, but I haven't seen the facts. So I don't want to just start spewing things that uh, may or may not be true. 
I mean, the fact that she's 15 is also a convenient part to the story to take down Lauren Boebert. And trust me, if I can take down Lauren Boebert, I'll do it without even thinking about it. But I'm not going to do it if I don't know for sure and then end up looking stupid later. So, Michael, if you have any proof of it, if you have documentation of it, I'd love to see it. Please email that to me because then I'll go after her shit and I'll go after her kid. And if I was a press member of the press talking to her, the first thing I'd ask her, Miss Boebert, Representative Boebert, are you telling me that you support statutory rape? Because if, in fact, this is true, and she's up there speaking proudly about it, clearly she does. And if she supports statutory rape, well, I see that as a problem. I'd be interested to know what her parents think at this point. Of course, if her parents are in the same district that elected Lauren Boebert, they're probably not very fucking bright. They're hillbillies in their own right. All right, Michael, thank you for the email. Next one comes from Donna. And she says, I tried messaging you on TikTok and it blocked me. I can't see very well. I'm going blind and I'm having trouble texting. Sarah Huckabee Sanders in signing the law to allow teenagers to work. Do you think that has to do with the SNAP benefits, etc.? I'm thinking the only people who will let their 13 and 14-year-olds work would be poverty-level people and single moms. Wouldn't this mean that they would have to report their children's income and potentially lose a lot of their current poverty-level benefits? Donna. Well, that's a good point. The real question is, why would these states be willing to allow younger and younger kids to work? Now, I think a lot of people misunderstand this. I think people, when they hear that younger kids can work, they somehow feel that now kids will be forced into working. Nobody's forced into working, so they don't have to do it. If you're against having your child work at 12, don't have your kid work at 12. The fact that it's an opportunity for them to work that young is problematic. Because like we were talking about in the previous email, there are some fucked up parents. I've always said 99% of the problems in this country can be tracked back to shitty parents. Lauren Boebert, for example, is a shitty parent. And there are plenty of shitty parents out there that maybe don't want to work, that live on welfare. Now you're asking, is Sarah Huckabee doing this to try to get less people on the welfare, the welfare lines? You know, I suppose that's possible. The thing, the thing is, I don't understand why there's this push to have younger kids working. Other than the fact that, that um, right now there's a, a, a lot of open jobs that they can't fill. You know, it, it's the same thing with the brown people coming across the border. They're going to take our jobs. Well, there's a lot of jobs not being taken, so let them take them. I mean, there are a lot of companies struggling right now because they can't get enough workers. Maybe that's Sarah Huckabee's answer to that problem, by letting children work. Sarah Huckabee can't make anybody go to work. It's the parents that have to make them go to work. Now, even if the companies can't be held responsible for it, the parents should. If it's legal for a 12-year-old to go work in a sweatshop in your state, here's what I would tell you. And if you have a problem with that, move the fuck out of that state. I mean, we have that issue not only with child, child uh, uh, children working, but a overturning Roe v. Wade and and having laws against abortion and the attacking of uh, LGBTQ folks. The only option right here now, if these states are so horrific that they're going to implement these laws and you happen to be in a category that would be hurt by these laws, really the only option is to move the fuck out. Now, I understand that's not an easy thing. You get a family living in Florida or Texas, and they don't have a lot of money. Picking up and moving to another state just isn't really an option. 
So the second option here is to fight like hell and do it through the elections. Get these fucking people out of there. I will tell you this. I think we're going to see a lot of changes, not only in the federal government, but in the state government. Things are going badly for the Republicans. They're losing a grip on everything. On the federal level, I think the Republicans are all but done at this point. Even when they get a little power, they can't do anything with it, and that will cost them in the elections, a la the House of Representatives. They aren't doing anything. And the little things they are doing, they are embarrassing themselves. This is going to cost them in 2024. As that costs them, the states are going to be part of a kind of a domino effect, not only because of what's going on in the federal level, but because of who the voters are. As I told you before, in 2022, the millennials and the Gen Zs played a big role in stopping that red wave. That group of people isn't going to get smaller. It's going to get bigger. So in 2024, they'll have a bigger impact. And as I've said many times here before, I quote this because I think it's a very interesting interesting uh, concept, is that in 2028, the majority of the voters are going to be millennials and Gen Zs. And when that happens, the Democrats are all but dead. Nearly 70% of all millennials and Gen Zs do not vote Republican. They vote Democrat. And once that happens, the Republicans are done. They know this, and so they're doing these draconian bills or these extreme methods to try to grab onto power. But none of that will last. This country and people in general are always moving forward. What we accept now in 2023 is absolute, would be absolutely appalling to the people in the 1960s. We've talked about this before. In the 1960s, a woman couldn't have a credit card, couldn't buy a car without being signed on by her father or her husband, certainly couldn't buy a house without a man involved. Well, now that seems absolutely silly right now, doesn't it? Times change, attitudes change, and we will get these bumps in the road, and we will get these extremists coming out trying to pull this shit. It'll be like a fever blister. It will pop, and then it will go away. It's painful while you have it, and maybe painful while we're getting rid of it. But make no mistake, none of this stuff will stick. It just won't stick. It can't. Now, we've talked about Donald Trump and his current situation. He's getting hit from all sides. He's got the Manhattan District looking at the hush money payment to Stormy Daniels. He's got what's going on in Georgia, waiting for an indictment there. His crime was recorded, so it's hard to deny that. And, of course, we've got the DOJ They're looking into the classified documents that he stole and lied about. And, of course, the January 6th insurrection. That is a big one. You don't try to overturn a fair and honest election. Try to overthrow the government. Threaten to kill the vice president and the Speaker of the House without that being taken seriously. Tucker Carlson and all the other Trump LaFucks can say, oh, it never happened. But you and I know we sat here, watched it live on TV. Most people of a reasonable mind know exactly what happened. Now, Trump is having to change his tune a little bit as to trying to defend himself regarding January 6th. We know he incited the unruly, toothless fucking crowd, but he denies that, of course. And, of course, Fox News and other Trump fucks deny it was an insurrection at all. Donald Trump has denied that it was an insurrection. It was just a bunch of tourists on a stroll. Now, Donald Trump tends to fuck himself over by by, uh, um, confessing to things while he's trying to look at a different angle to approach it. And he's doing that with January 6th right now. Now, Donald Trump, whose coup attempt on January 6th, 2021, put his vice president's life at risk as a mob of supporters attacked the U.S. Capitol. On Monday, Donald Trump blamed Mike Pence.
pence for the violence that day because he didn't go along with the scheme. Donald Trump tells us there was no insurrection. These were lovely people, patriots who were just trying to protest nonviolently. But now he's saying, yeah, there was violence, but it's Mike Pence's fault. A typical tactic by a narcissist. They never accept anything on their own. They always try to spin it off onto somebody else. This is what Donald Trump said. He, he said, had he sent the votes back to the legislators, they wouldn't have had a problem with January 6th, the former president told reporters on a flight to an Iowa campaign stop. So in many ways, you can blame him for January 6th. Really, Donnie? So what you're saying is because Mike Pence didn't go along with the attempted coup, he's at fault for the violence. Well, Donald Trump is already confessing to the fact that there was an insurrection, that there was violence, and now instead of saying it didn't exist, he's blaming it on Mike Pence. Two problems with that. You're asking Mike Pence to do something that's unconstitutional, illegal. And you're saying, had he done that, there wouldn't have been any violence. Well, isn't that the tactic of most fucking bullies? If you just do what I tell you, I won't beat you up. Well, I'm sorry, that's not the way to deal with bullies. Pence presided over the ceremonial counting of electoral college ballots that day. And the word there, the, the operative word is ceremonial. He had no authority to send votes back to state legislatures. In any event, Trump actually had tried to pressure Pence, as we know, to simply reject the votes from certain key states and declare Trump the winner of the 2020 election that he had lost to Democrat Joe Biden, according to the Trump White House officials. Now, you have to understand that Donald Trump, well, maybe not Donald Trump because he's a dumb motherfucker, but all the people around him, the lawyers, knew that this was not possible. The only reason Mike Pence didn't do what Donald Trump wanted him to do is because he legally could not do it. But Donald Trump and his people kind of knew that. They weren't really looking for him to turn back the votes back to the legislature. I mean, if he could, they would love that, but they knew that wasn't possible. But what they did know is that if Mike Pence did that, it would create chaos and confusion, and it would give them more time to do whatever the fuck they wanted to do. They probably didn't even know what they were going to do. They just needed the time, the confusion, the chaos to try to pull something else out of their ass. And for that, Donald Trump hates Mike Pence. And for that, he sent this toothless crowd to kill Mike Pence. You know, it's ironic. He said, I never wanted something like that. I like Mike Pence. But we have evidence in, in, in um, depositions where Donald Trump was told that they're going to kill Mike Pence and this is crazy. And he basically said, well, maybe he deserves it. So by virtue of saying that, he is culpable. He is an accessory, at the very least, at the attempted murder of Mike Pence. Now, Trump's new comments, reported by CBS political director Finn Gomez, who was among the reporters on Trump's plane, came in response to Pence's remarks on Saturday when he said, Trump's words and deeds had nearly gotten his family killed. President Trump was wrong. Pence said in remarks at the annual dinner of the Gridiron Club in Washington, D.C., I had no right to overturn the election. He endangered my family and everyone at the Capitol that day, and I know that history will hold Donald Trump accountable. Here's what's interesting about that. Mike Pence made that statement the other day, more than two years after the fact. Two years after the insurrection, the attempted coup, two years after these toothless fucks were yelling, hang Mike Pence, and they even brought a gallows. Mike, the time to have said something about that would have been, I don't know, January 7th, 2021. But you didn't have the courage. You were scared. You were trying to play the system a little bit. Now, there's two reasons why he didn't come out right away and blame Donald Trump. 
First of all, he was probably afraid for his life, and he had good reason to be. We know that the Trump LaFox, when you go against Donald Trump, they will make threats. Whether they fall through with them, I don't know, but they make the threats. So he was probably afraid of that. But there was more to it than that because, you see, he's trying to think, I want to be president someday, so I better not piss off MAGA because I need their votes. And this is where the delusion of Mike Pence is. Mike Pence can't get enough votes to get the nomination, let alone the presidency. Mike Pence would have to get support of the Republican Party, but we know at least a 30% faction of the Republican Party think he's a traitor to Donald Trump. They would never, ever vote for him. So why he's even going through this, I have no fucking idea. Pence went on to say, and I know that history will hold Donald Trump accountable. History, you say. How about the Department of Justice? How about the rule of law? How about that holding Donald Trump accountable? But, of course, Mike Pence is doing everything he can to make sure Donald Trump is not held accountable by the DOJ. He's been asked to testify in front of the DOJ, and he's fighting it. It took him two years to kick back at Donald Trump, and now he's Mr. Tough Guy. Mike Pence is a big-ass pussy. He's a weak-ass bitch just like Donald Trump is. The very least he could do as a former president or vice president of the United States is to testify in front of our DOJ about an attempted coup. If you want to be president of this country, you need to show us that you're protecting the Constitution and this country. By not showing up, by not testimony tes- testifying, shows us you're a gutless fuck, you're going against the Constitution, And you're not protecting the Constitution or this country. Now, Trump set the January 6th assault on the Capitol in motion days after the Electoral College had voted on December 14, 2020, formally giving Biden the presidency when he told his followers to converge on Washington the day of the congressional certification. See, that's the weird thing. They voted on December 14th. That would have been the time to disrupt it, but they're so fucking stupid. They waited to the ceremonial action of certifying the electoral votes. And the interesting thing about Donald Trump, he would have us believe that these uh, people that did attack the Capitol were just a bunch of crazy people that got out of hand. But we've since found out that there was quite a strategy in this whole process. And it wasn't just about the trump attacking the Capitol. There were a lot of things going on. We know that Donald Trump called the Secretary of State of Georgia to try to coerce, try to blackmail them into doing his bidding and overturning the election. Well, they pushed him aside and said, no, we're not going to do that. We know that several states created fake electors People in the crowd, people in the legislature, made them fake electors, submitted it, and hoping that their ruse would be accepted. And, of course, it wasn't. We know there were meetings at the Mayflower Hotel in the fucking White House. So there was a lot of planning to this. There was a lot of coordination. There was money involved. We know they sent buzzes down south to bring these Trump fucks up here. This was actually a pretty frightening plan. And this plan was to overturn our elections and overthrow this government. There is absolutely nothing more egregious, no more horrific crime committed in this country than what happened on January 6th and what was perpetuated by the people who attacked the Capitol But even more importantly, those people that planned and strategized and coordinated and fundraised for this attack ahead of time. That means it was premeditated. I think the investigations have shown that, have proved that, and the people that were involved in that will pay a price. They will be accountable. It's taken too long, I'll grant you that, but they will be accountable. 
and there will be hell to pay for those people, those sitting members of Congress, the Supreme Court justice's wife, all these fucks. They were too deep into it, and it was such an insidious crime, a crime like we've never seen in this country before. They aren't going to get away with it. Yet Donald Trump wants to blame Mike Pence. All you had to do was go along with the coup, and there would have been no problem. And Donald Trump doesn't see the flying the ointment there, the problem. Andy also confesses to the fact that, yes, there was a coup attempt. Yes, there was violence. Yes, there were people injured. It was an insurrection, even though he spent all this time telling us that it never happened or it wasn't a big deal. Many Republicans in the House, many people in the media have been telling us the same thing. Now, I wonder how they're going to react when Donald Trump shit the bed again by admitting this. He does this all the time. He constantly implicates himself in situations that he's trying to get out of. It's absolutely hilarious. Donald Trump can't continue the way he's going because he is a fool. He is stupid. He will confess himself into jail or in some kind of house arrest. The people around him will get tired of being made to look like fools by making these claims and having their own Lord and Savior make them look like idiots and as liars. So, this week is going to be interesting. And as I've told you before, if we get a quick indictment out of the Manhattan District, that crime is pretty minimal compared to all the other crimes. But I really believe that'll set an avalanche in motion. Once that first indictment comes out, you'll see these indictments and investigations and arrests starting to pop very quickly. All right, we will take a quick break and we will be right back. Well, there's been nothing but bad news for Fox News over the last few weeks. From the Dominion lawsuit to the tune of $1.6 billion to the text messages and emails being exposed showing that they are absolute liars, that what they spew on the air is all false and they do it to make money and they don't care about credibility, truth, honesty, or even justice. You wouldn't think it could get worse for them, (laughs) but it is getting worse for them. Yesterday, a New York State appeals court rejected Fox News' bid to dismiss a multi-billion dollar defamation lawsuit accusing the network of falsely accusing an electronic voting systems company of helping to rig the 2020 U.S. presidential election to favor Joe Biden over Donald Trump. Now, you're probably saying to yourself, Mike, we know about that. That's Dominion. That's $1.6 billion. They have that complaint. No, no. This is a different deal. In a 5-0 to zero decision, the appellate division in Manhattan said Smartmatic, not Dominion, the other guy, Smartmatic USA, alleged in detailed fashion how Fox News and some anchors and guests effectively endorsed and participated in defamation with reckless disregard for or serious doubts about whether the company engaged in election fraud. That's right. It's not just Dominion now. It's now Smartmatic as well. And let's be honest, if they lose to Dominion, they're going to lose to Smartmatic because it's the same thing. Smartmatic is doing the right thing. Let Dominion go through the process, see how it goes, and then come up and fix any problems that Dominion had or follow all the things that Dominion did to win theirs. Now get this, we know Dominion is asking for $1.6 billion minimum. That doesn't include punitive damages. It could go double that. But now Smartmatic has sought $2.7 billion in damages, saying Fox News knowingly lied about its technology and how it was used in order to boost ratings and keep Trump supporters from defecting to the right-wing networks, Newsmax and One America News. Fox News has long said its job was to inform the public and that airing fraud claims was protected by the U.S. Constitution's First Amendment. Well, no, it wasn't. The fact is that all the information that Dominion has put out basically proves their claim and, in addition, also proves Smartmatic's claim. 
I mean, think about this. We know Fox is very wealthy and very powerful with Rupert Murdoch. People have said $1.6 billion won't break them. I mean, it'll take a big hit out of them, but they have a lot of money, so it won't really kill them. Well, add another $2.7 billion to the damages, and then it gets a little harder. We're talking $4.3 billion. And let's consider the fact that there might be punitive damages in both cases, maybe double that. So now we're talking $8.6 billion. Now that will crush virtually any company in this country. Today's or Tuesday's decision uh, let Smartmatic continue its cases against Fox News host Maria Bartiromo and former host Lou Dobbs. These two clowns are some of the most uh, egregious in this situation. But make no mistake, it's about Fox News, too. So Fox News is getting worse and worse news every day. And with all the things that might come into play, one of the things we're not considering, too, they may show up in indictments in the January 6th insurrection cases. They could. I mean, they were part of spewing and passing along fake information that may have helped to incite these fucking clowns. I don't know that for sure, but I guarantee you if we're looking at the DOJ or somebody like that, the FBI, they're looking into that. They're going to go after everybody that was involved and responsible for what happened on January 6th. So the news gets worse and worse for Fox News. The $1.6 billion could could uh, expand to three, four, five, six, seven, eight billion dollars, and there you have a problem. There you're not going to see them come out smelling like a rose on this thing. They'll be destroyed. They will be destroyed, and they will be no more. And you know what? It's a fucking good thing. Fox News has been as dangerous for this country as any one of the politicians, and they deserve to be held accountable as well. All right, here's a story I did a TikTok on. And uh, after I did the TikTok, some people said, well, see, he's, he's out of the hospital now. I'm talking about Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell, the Republican from Kentucky. Um, He was discharged from the hospital on Monday after falling and suffering a concussion in Washington, D.C. last week. Now, when I did the TikTok, he hadn't been released, and I thought it was very funny. Here we have the Senate Minority Leader at a hotel. He trips and falls, and he's hurt seriously enough to be sent to a hospital. After a couple of days, they tell us, well, he's got a concussion, he's doing fine, can't wait to get back to work. But then for a couple of days, we didn't hear anything more about it. It was very quiet, and that seemed weird. I mean, let's be honest, Mitch McConnell's 81 years old. He's no spring chicken. And we've seen evidence that he's had some spills before. Remember when he came to the Senate floor with bruises on his face and on his hands and his hands all wrapped up. This isn't the first time it happened. And I was supposing that since we hadn't heard anything about him, maybe he was more seriously ill than we were being told. And somebody might say, well, why would that be? Why would they lie to us about that? Well, it's all about power in, um, in, in, in the Senate. See, the thing about it is, is Mitch McConnell's probably the most powerful Republican in Washington, D.C. at this point. If he goes down, that's going to cause a ripple in the Republican Party. There's also another issue, given his age. Um, Theoretically, in most situations, if a senator cannot fill out its term, can't serve his term or her term, then it's put on the governor of the state to appoint somebody to finish the term. Now, the problem they have in Kentucky is that the governor in Kentucky is Democrat. So theoretically, he could appoint a Democrat to replace the ultimate Republican, which would be awesome. Now, here's the interesting thing about it, though. Probably a year or two ago, um, Mitch McConnell decided he wanted to try to game the system. 
And what he was trying to do, he was trying to work out with the legislature, and I think he did, that uh, um, if he was not able to serve out his term, or any senator from Kentucky, that instead of the governor getting the choice, a set group of people in the legislature would be able to choose. And I think what it is, the legislature would pick five or six or ten names, give it to the governor, and force the governor to pick one of those people which really kind of hamstrings the governor. Of course, these Republicans in the state legislature aren't going to send him a Democrat. And if he's forced to pick from these 10, that would keep a Republican in the Senate. Now, because the legislature is controlled by Republicans, they can pull this stuff off. They can overturn Roe v. Wade. They can marginalize LGBTQ. Therein lies the problem in these states, these fucked up red states. So presumably, if Mitch McConnell couldn't make it back and serve out his term, the Republicans would pick 10 Republicans and the governor would have to pick it. But here's here's the interesting thing. Going back to what I said is maybe he's sicker, maybe he's more ill than we know. Isn't it interesting that a year or two ago, Mitch McConnell had enough foresight, enough concern about his own health and welfare that he went to the Kentucky legislature to game this system. Why would he care if he died or if he wasn't able to serve? Well, he's the consummate Republican, and even in death, he would hope the Republicans would stay in control. So he went back to Kentucky to try to game the system, and it looks like he may have done that. Well, why would Mitch McConnell go back a year or two years ago and try to protect the Republicans in case he can't serve? Clearly, he had some premonitions or some idea that he's not in the best of health. So anyway, he ends up in the hospital, and we don't hear much. And I'm s- suspecting, and I'm you know, there's no way to know for sure that maybe there's something more going on. And somebody asked me, well, why wouldn't the Republicans just tell us? Well, we know the Republicans are fucking liars. You know they'll try to buy time in order to game the situation that's best for themselves. So I don't trust Republicans. But now they say he's released. But we find out something else that they didn't say initially. McConnell's office revealed that the top Senate Republican, who is 81, also suffered minor rib fractures as a result of the fall at the GOP event in downtown D.C. Now, at the advice of his physician, the next step will be a period of physical therapy and an inpatient rehabilitation facility before he returns home. So he's not going home yet. He's released from a hospital, but he's not going home yet. David Pop, McConnell's communication director, told this story. Over the course of treatment this weekend, the leader's medical team discovered that he also suffered a minor rib fracture on Wednesday, for which he is also being treated. The leader and Secretary Chow, his wife, are deeply thankful for the skilled medical care, prayers, and kindness they have received. Why are they hiding more information? Well, let's take a look at uh, John Fetterman in Pennsylvania. He has a bout with depression, and look what the Republicans did to him. They're trying to discount him and discredit him in any way they possibly can. So they want to keep this undercover so the Democrats can't use it against him. What they don't know is the Democrats probably wouldn't use it against them. But they're scared to death that their leader might have a chink in the armor, you know, that he may not be as healthy as he is. Let me just say this. I hope he is healthy, and I hope he does come back. As I've said before in this podcast, surprisingly enough, at this stage, as evil as that motherfucker is, he's probably the only voice of reason in the Republican Party. He knows the MAGA bullshit is a non-starter. It's a fucking loser. And he has enough power to do something about it. But if Mitch McConnell's gone, now you've got the, the inmates running the fucking asylum like we have in the House of Representatives. So I hope he does come back. I hope he doesn't stay long because he is an evil motherfucker. And the reason we are in the tough shape that we are now in this country is largely due to him. The reason we have six 
conservatives in the Supreme Court, three or four of which are incompetent and inept and uh, corrupt, is because of that motherfucker. So McConnell fell at the Waldorf Astoria Hotel during an event for Senate Leadership Fund that was attended by other Republican senators. So any senators that were there know exactly what happened and, and what it was, but they aren't going to talk about it. It's unclear how long McConnell's recovery will be. The Senate is facing multiple absences this week with Fetterman in treatment for depression and Senator Dianne Feinstein recovering from a bout of shingles. Now, fucking Dianne Feinstein is late 80s, early 90s. Mitch McConnell is 81. It goes back to something I've said and many of you said before, too. There should be an age of mandatory retirement in our members of Congress. 75 is a good number. I mean, if you've been in the House or been in the Senate for 30 or 40 years, isn't that enough? Haven't you grifted enough money? Haven't you wallowed in as much power as you can possibly have? But people like Senator Grassley from Iowa, Mitch McConnell, even Feinstein, she's a Democrat. But why are you still here? Go enjoy life. Let younger people determine their own destiny. Now, in 2019, McConnell suffered a fall that required shoulder surgery and weeks of recuperation at home. Earlier this year, the Kentucky Republican, who has been in office since 84, became the Senate's longest-serving party leader. But you had the problem with the shoulder. You have this now one with the concussion and with the rib injury. And in between there, there were a couple other falls, too. Nobody heard about them because he was able to get up. But the evidence of the fall was right there. As I said, he had bruises on his face, bruises on his hands. His hands were wrapped up. And he didn't say anything about it. Question is, why is Mitch McConnell always falling? Now, granted, he's an older guy. The other question I have is, how is a guy 81 years old falling multiple times and not breaking a hip? It seems like old people always break a hip. And when that happens, it's pretty much done. Maybe he did in this fall. They just ain't telling us. I don't want to try to start a conspiracy theory, but I know Republicans, they tend to lie. They tend to try to game the system. Even Mitch McConnell is one of the worst offenders. I don't really care that much about Mitch McConnell. I hope he isn't seriously ill because that's the fucking right thing to say. But when he meets his maker, he's going to have some splaining to do. And at 81, he's probably not that far away. Here's an interesting story regarding what's going up in the Manhattan District. Alan Weisselberg, remember him? He was the Trump Organization CFO who is currently behind bars at Rikers Island Prison. Guess what? He got five months. Everybody's saying, oh, he, 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 he should have got more. And he probably should have. But they ain't done with him yet. He's not done going on trial for potential illegalities with the Trump organization. Because you see, Alan Weisselberg could ultimately become part of the New York grand jury probe into the Stormy Daniels hush money payments. I mean, he was the CFO, chief financial officer of the Trump organization when Trump, by way of Cohen, paid off Stormy Daniels to the tune of one hundred. $30,000. There's no way in hell the CFO didn't know about this, didn't sign off on it, and if he did, well, he could get indicted for that. Sure, he can get indicted even while he's in jail. He can get indicted, convicted, and another sentence while he's still in jail. And I got to tell you, a 75-year-old lawyer who's used to living in the lap of luxury, riding even five months out in Rikers Island, is a hell on earth. Now, while former lawyer Michael Cohen took the fall for the payment, he testified to Congress in 2019 that Weisselberg was involved in the plot. In fact, Cohen claims he has a recording of Trump telling the two men to work out the plan. Now, remember, in this case with Stormy Daniels, since they started going after Donald Trump, 
They interviewed Michael Cohen 19 times. The 20th time, yesterday, he testified in front of the grand jury. And guess what? He didn't even finish yesterday. He's going to come back on Wednesday to wrap it up. So it's not inconceivable that Alan Weisselberg has been implicated in this because he's just as guilty as these two fucks. So what's that mean? That means more leverage on Alan Weisselberg. You've been in Rikers Island for two months. How you liking that? We're going to indict you again, and you might get another five or ten months or maybe two years. Who knows what you're going to get? Or you could just throw Donald Trump under the bus. Now, he's been pretty strong about that. He refuses to do it. But I got to think, if after spending some months in Rikers Island, he might be a little loosened up by now. You know what I'm saying? Speaking to MSNBC's Joy Reid on Monday, Trump biographer David K. Johnston said he expects Weisselberg is going to be hauled into this case and that his problems aren't over yet. Reid asked if this was going to be nothing more than a misdemeanor campaign finance piece. It's something that former FBI counsel Andrew Weissman explained can be a felony if this is shown to have been a plot used more than once. Do you think? He's used it more than once, meaning Donald Trump, oh, I fucking guarantee it. It's a statute that says if you falsify your business records to further another crime or conceal it, that itself can be a felony and that the underlying crime does not itself have to be a felony. It's all about the cover-up. So the point is, is when they paid this money out, it sounds like Donald Trump said he repaid Cohen and told and, and said, oh, this is just a retainer. And Michael Cohen has said very specifically that it's not a retainer. So if this money was intended to pay off Stormy Daniels and they wrote it down as a retainer, a legal retainer, that's illegal. That's a felony. You think Donald Trump did that? You think he tried to game the IRS? You know he fucking did. After we saw his taxes, he's been committing tax fraud for fucking decades. So it's one of these one plus one equals two situations. This is what uh, Johnston is saying. I've speculated one of the crimes they might be looking at is, is the one you just cited. It's not a conventional campaign finance violation. Rather, it's about a group of people coming together to promote somebody's election through unlawful means. I've speculated those unlawful means are Michael Cohen's bank fraud. He got a home equity loan to pay off Stormy Daniels. That's fraudulent, fraudulently detained. Now, Trump and his lawyers have tried to claim that this was all personal and not related to the campaign. Well, you were using campaign money, motherfucker. The problem is that they were paid in the month before the election. I don't know. That just doesn't look good, does it? If it wasn't for the election, there would not have been a sense of urgency to handle it before the election. Even Trump's claims that he was scared of Melania, the accusation is that if she left him ahead of the election, it would have been detrimental to his campaign. Really? Motherfucker's been divorced, what, three times? He's got kids with every, every uh, former wife and, and, and has cheated on every, every former wife? He's worried about getting divorced prior to the election? Jesus Christ. I mean, they have the video... They have the video uh, from 2005 where he was bragging about being famous and being able to grab women by the um, genitals. Now, one of the things they were trying to do is trying to keep that out of this potential case. They don't want that showing up to give the jury an indication that he's been thinking about this a long time. They also don't want to bring... Uh, any of the other people that are making accusations against Donald Trump about being assaulted by him in this case. Well, the judge said, fuck yourself. All that is fine to be presented in the case. Now, Alan Weisselberg is wholly owned subsidiary of Donald's mind and has been for 50 years, said Kay Johnson. 
I think the reason that the Justice Department didn't didn't pursue the Michael Cohen case, which looked like a slam dunk, is that they didn't see it as being the biggest case to bring if you're going to go after a former president. On the other hand, Elvin Bragg decided not to go the RICO route, which I thought was a very smart move. The comment is a reference to the possibility that Trump's payments were part of a racketeering plot, which some legal analysts debated could have been. Now, he's come back with using New York State business laws, which could be very effective, Kay Johnston said. Two misdemeanors, you get a felony, and his own efforts now by Trump's lawyers are now going to be to say, oh, this is all illegitimate, the laws are murky. We don't know what we're doing here. And it may be a broader case than Weisselberg is right now in jail. He has an agreement that he has to fully and faithfully testify. I don't think he did that in his own trial, the one for the Trump organization and himself, but he didn't flake out either completely. So while he maybe didn't tell the whole truth in that first trial, that situation is still hanging over his head if he's involved in the next trial. I mean, when they told him, we'll give you five months, but you got to be able to testify and you got to tell the truth. Maybe he didn't realize it, but it doesn't just involve the trial he went through. It also involves anything else tied to the Trump organization. So now Alan Weisselberg, thinking he got an easy ride with five months in Rikers, which he's probably finding out otherwise now, um, he thought he was done. Do his five months, get the fuck out, and go back, live in the lap of luxury. Well, that's not going to happen. The Manhattan District is not done with him. They are going to fuck with him for the rest of his life. He's 75 years old, and he will probably either be in jail or in court for the rest of his life. Life for Alan Weisselberg isn't going to be fun. And frankly, he's deserving of it. He is just as criminal as Donald Trump. He supported Donald Trump. He allowed Donald Trump to do the crimes that he did. So he, in fact, is culpable for all that happened in the Trump organization. I mean, he was the chief financial officer. All right, let's move on to something different. Former President Donald Trump on Monday blamed wokeness for the collapse of the Silicon Valley Bank rather than the law he signed in 2018 that gutted Dodd-Frank federal regulations on smaller banks. I saw the video of it. He bragged about getting rid of the regulations and destroying Dodd-Frank. Well, by doing that, he is partially responsible for what happened with Silicon Valley Bank. Trump bragged within days of taking office that he would go after Dodd-Frank Act, which was signed by President Barack Obama in 2010 after the 2008 financial crisis in which more banks or forced banks to be more conservative in investing their depositors' money. Remember all the problems we had with the banks in 2008, all the failures and that sort of thing? Barack Obama saw the problem, said we need more regulations because we can't trust you banking motherfuckers. Donald Trump comes in, now he takes them all off. And guess what? We have a bank failure. Donald Trump said Dodd-Frank is a disaster. We're going to be doing a big number on Dodd-Frank, Trump said, on January 30th, 2017, as he signed an executive order requiring the agencies eliminate two regulations for each new one they wanted to implement. Sixteen months later, he signed a bill that freed regional banks like SVB from many Dodd-Frank rules. They shouldn't be regulated the same way as the large, complex financial institutions, he said. As a candidate, I pledge that we would rescue these community banks from Dodd-Frank, the disaster of Dodd-Frank, and now we are keeping our commitment. And that's what he did. Now, the interesting thing the delineation between a large bank and a small bank. They put that limit at $250 billion. $250 billion. Anything above two fifty is uh, is a large bank and isn't affected by what Donald Trump did. But guess what? SVB had $208 billion in assets, so they were considered a small bank. 
But this small bank held all the money for a lot of the tech companies out on the West Coast, a lot of the startups. It was a place where they got their payroll for these tech companies. And as much as they want to make us believe they're small, this put a big crimp and a big fear in the financial markets overall. You see, what happened was, this is the interesting thing about the stock market and banking. Most of it's about speculation. And if any funny thing happens, people freak out and they go to get their money. And that's what happened. Some stupid things were done with SVB. People got nervous and they went to the bank and said, I want my money back. And then they had a run on the bank. And once there's a run on the bank, then all hell breaks loose and this destroys a financial institution. And it did with SVB. So now Donald Trump, even though he's responsible, fully responsible, and the Republicans are fully responsible for this failure, now he's trying to blame it on this bank being the wokest bank in the country. I'd love to sit down with a Trumplican at some point and say, define woke for me. Because they never are able to do it. Is it when you're not racist that you're woke? Is it when you are pro-life or pro-choice that you're woke? They never identify it. They just get these buzzwords and they throw them out there and they turn them into these things that certain people are afraid of, even though they don't know what the fuck it means. It's ridiculous. Now, he said the same wokeness that pushed banks to dish out subprime mortgages to unqualified buyers and crashed the economy in 2008 has now rebranded at ESG and DEI and is crashing our financial system again in 2023. This is one post by a lawyer and commie fighter, Rogan O'Handley, that Trump shared with his 5 million followers on a social media platform, Truth Social. He was referring to environmental, social, and governance. This has nothing to do with being woke, but it's typical of what they do. They don't take responsibility for their own failures, so what they do instead... is blame it on the Democrats or blame it on the liberals. Own the libtars. It's absolutely ridiculous. It's absolutely ridiculous that uh, they use this to try to combat their own crimes. But this is what they do. They do it all the fucking time. There has to come a time when the dam breaks on these Trumplifucks. You can't keep spewing lies and conspiracy theories and keep getting away with it. The vast majority of the people in this country don't buy the bullshit. Why, when 30% of a Republican Party buy into it and perpetuate it, why is it still a thing? They don't hold enough sway in this country. They can't win an election because there's not enough of them. This all takes pushing back by people of a reasonable mind, people like you and me. We can't let them get away with the lies and the bullshit. We need to call them out at every turn. And I will say the Democrats are doing a better job of it as of late. But this needs to continue. We need to crush these people like bugs and send them back under their rocks. We won't ever get rid of them, but we can silence them. And the only way we can silence them is by talking louder, longer and embarrassing and exposing these fucks for who they are. So that's on us. We've got to talk more, talk louder, and not allow them any oxygen. All right, we are going to wrap up the Rational Boomer podcast. I want to thank you for taking the time out of your day to listen. I hope you have a great day, and we're going to talk to you tomorrow. And and I will just tell you this ahead of time. It's going to be a little different show tomorrow, I think. I told you I was going to have on the show a good friend of mine. name is Monty Moyer. He is a dyed-in-the-wool liberal. He'll have a lot of comments that are similar to what we talk about all the time. But interestingly enough, he also has a career that's very interesting. He is a founding member of the group, the R&B 
musical group, The Time. And you'll know The Time because it's a group that was formed by Prince back in the heyday here in Minneapolis in the 80s. Uh, the Time was an offshoot with Morris Day from Prince. And uh, he has an incredible story. Monty Moyer is an interesting guy, not only playing with the, 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 the band The Time, being a founding member, but also working with Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis when they separated from The Time and did their own production things. Monty, in his own right, has written some hit songs. Uh, he recently got um, credit for one of the biggest hit songs in, what, 2016? It's an interesting story, and we'll talk about it when he's on the show tomorrow, assuming everything goes right. If he doesn't, we'll have a regular show. But I think Monty will be here, and we will talk to him, and I think you'll find it interesting. So, again, I hope you have a great day, and we'll talk to you again tomorrow. Thanks for listening to the Rational Boomer Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. We'll see you next time.